Heather, I think we can both agree it wouldn't be Christmas without Bofa. What's Bofa? Bofa D's Nutcrackers. <laughs> you are listening to the Quibbler Advent Calendar, the podcast for prima ballerinas. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And that intro took me by surprise. You did not prepare me. And so I paused before I said, what's Bofa? Because I didn't know that was my line. But it was very funny. So as you may have guessed, this is our third Advent calendar episode. We are once again taking a look at a classic Christmas media property thing franchise it's not really a franchise it's the nutcracker it's a franchise well no it's not because it's just like no it's not what does that mean what makes it a franchise to you no you're completely right no i'm nutcracker cinematic universe which i think they sort of tried to make oh yeah they tried to make the four realms and then which we tried to watch but i think we only got like fucking unwatchable 25 minutes in it's totally unwatchable so yeah, we are talking about the Nutcracker, the Tchaikovsky slash George Balanchine ballet. We watched the New York City Ballet's 2019 performance of the Nutcracker, which is available through the New York City Ballet website. So just like brief plug for buying tickets to performances of institutions that you hope come back after the pandemic you can buy $25 like streaming access to the Nutcracker and it's really well done it was really nice it was fun one of the things that was really nice about it was we're usually in the nosebleed seats so it was cool to see the performers facial expressions and Yeah, it was just filmed really well. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, obviously, the New York City Ballet is one of the best companies in the world. And George Balanchine kind of originated the choreography that is sort of brought the Nutcracker into contemporary, like, stardom, right? I mean, the Balanchine Nutcracker is, like, why people started seeing the Nutcracker. Yeah, one of the reasons, but, like, kind of the primary reason. So, um, and George Balanchine was, like, a piece of shit in a lot of different ways, but um, also one of the most important choreographers of the last century. So here's the thing about me more than Alex. This is probably our most, I mean, I think most people have some contact with the Nutcracker. Like, it's very Christmassy, but I'm like a full, like, ballet fanatic. It's Something that I really, really, really love. And the more, the older I get and the more I watch ballet with sort of my quibbler lens, the more it's like, it's it's weird about body stuff. It's super heteronormative. It's very, very white. Like it's misaligned, I would say, with a lot of my sort of ideological orientations. But I find it fucking exquisite. And I, I just, there are very few things I find more just aesthetically wonderful than a really good ballet like a fucking old school tippy toes jumping around in tights men in cod pieces full-on tutus like costumed ballet I love the ballet and I think you only really started going to ballets when we got together I definitely saw the Nutcracker as a kid because that's the kind of thing your school gets like comped tickets or something like that or your parents like drag you to the ballet But I didn't have much exposure to ballet outside of the Nutcracker, which I think is true for most people in America. Yeah, I think if most people have seen, like, a ballet. If you've seen a ballet, you've seen the Nutcracker. The same way, like, if you've gone to church, it was on Christmas or Easter. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a funny comparison. Well, right, though? It's like, I mean, it's like like Christmas and Easter Catholics. It's like Nutcracker ballet goers. (laughs) I definitely went to the Nutcracker once or twice as a kid. And... My primary interaction with the Nutcracker was through Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop's, like, Nutcracker CD, where they had, like, the music of the Nutcracker, but the frame story was Sherry Lewis bought Lamb Chop, who... Does everyone know who Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop is? Probably not. 
I don't have any idea. I like they're the gen- indelible for me, but I have no idea. The if Gen Zers wouldn't know this performer. Right? Lamb Chop is a puppet that's a lamb. Yeah, and Sherry Lewis is, is a, a ventriloquist puppeteer, yeah. ventriloquist slash like co-performer. And they had so they had an album. This, like incredibly like well no they had this like super low budget just like Sherry talking to Lamb Chop like variety show and there were other characters there was Charlie Horse there was Hush Puppy those are the main three yeah but I mean essentially it was take the Muppets and like strip away all of the production value (laughs) and like it was just a hand puppet like essentially right like yeah it was like a sock puppet with Lamb Chop's like a sock with like a mane and eyes I love Lamb Chop. Yeah, I mean, she's amazing. She's very, will, she's very sassy. And they'll already know how I feel about puppets in general. So puppetry so is... So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There was Lamb Chop's Nutcracker. And the frame story was that Sherry had bought Lamb Chop tickets to the seat the Nutcracker. But then she got a really bad cold. So she couldn't go to the Nutcracker. Even though she like tried to pretend that she was like, okay, and could go to the Nutcracker. But Sherry's like, no, we can't spread diseases. Honestly really helped prepare me for 2020. In a yeah, I was going to say, this is the most relatable yeah, version of like, the Nutcracker out there. So Sherry just plays her, plays Lamb Chop, like the Nutcracker album, and tells her the story of the Nutcracker, and then they make up words to all the famous Nutcracker movements to tell the story. So whenever I hear the Nutcracker to this day, I think of the quote-unquote lyrics to the Nutcracker from Sherry Lewis's Lamb Chops Nutcracker. Give us a which sample, is like, please. It's like, thank you, and how'd you do a merry, merry Christmas? Another thing I like about the Nutcracker, it is definitely a piece of Christmas media. It is certainly a Christmas story, but it is even farther removed from actual Christmas than like Rudolph was last time. Because <laughs> I mean, it's just Christmas is just the setting. Like yeah. there's no Christmas elements. There isn't a Santa Claus. In fact, there's the opposite of Santa Claus, which is like a very spooky sort of vampire uncle <laughs> who <laughs> brings presents but also does scary magic. Uh, Drossel Meyer is my favorite character, probably in any Christmas special. So, you know, and then they go to Candytown, and Candytown isn't Christmassy in any meaningful way. It's just, it's set at a Christmas party, but beyond that, you don't really have to engage with Christmas much. What I've learned is it's the kingdom of sweets. Candytown. Candytown, as we like to call it in this house. In this house, we recognize Candytown. So we should finish the other front matter. In this week's episode, you'll hear... Uh, oh, spoilers for the spoilers Nutcracker. Spoilers for the Nutcracker. They do uh, go to Candytown. Yeah, they jump around and dance. Uh, there's a sugar plum fairy at some point. Spoilers for the Nutcracker. Harry Potter, maybe. Other Christmas properties. The Bible. Yeah, the Bible. Uh, we will swear. So if you're listening with kids... If this if this becomes part of your Christmas tradition, be aware of that. God, I hope this doesn't become what part, of your, becomes part of your Christmas that tradition. What if this becomes part of your Christmas tradition? That is <laughs> an absolutely deranged suggestion, and we apologize for uh, making it. And it will contain adult themes, and in keeping with, I guess, what is the new Christmas tradition for us of not preparing whatsoever for these Christmas episodes. The adult themes are, we're just going to wing it, um, unexpected, no, Drosselmeyer's totally expected guests. Um, unsettling uncles. Yeah, unsettling uncles, um, infestations. Yeah, yeah, just vermin. Vermin. Straight up vermin. Sexual awakenings, frankly, mm-hmm. we'll get there. <laughs> Sweetheart tables. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> um, honestly, like, Vague musical racism. Yeah, some um, what's the word for it? Problematic. Uh, yeah, no. Essentialism. Essentialism. Yeah, essentialism. And anything else? That feels adult enough. Just ballet. Ballet is an adult theme. Yeah, it's super boring if you're not a grown up. <laughs> so Heather, I think it worked really well when you told the story of a Charlie Brown Christmas last week, and also I just. I literally don't trust myself to explain what happens in the Nutcracker because honestly, it seems like what happens in the Nutcracker kind of varies from Nutcracker to Nutcracker. So I'm really interested to hear your take on what happened this week in the Nutcracker. Sure. I will also say this is going to be really embarrassing because I have seen the Nutcracker at least once a year, every year since I was, I would say, three. I'm here to help you. So if I don't remember what happened in the Nutcracker, I've seen it. I would say 30 times at minimum. 
Uh, yeah. Sometimes we used to, we like watched it on VHS. We go when we can go. I've seen the New York City Ballet once. I've seen Ballet Arizona like 10 times. I don't know. We go to the Nutcracker every year. That's fucking privilege, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but if even, I mean, yeah, when I was really little, if we did like one fancy thing a year, my grandmother used to get us tickets for the Nutcracker every year when I was a kid. Anyway, so... In Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker, we open on the preparations at Clara and Fritz's house. What's Cla- I don't know Clara's last name. I think Clara Stahlbaum. technically actually it changes between. It's based on the eighteen sixteen short story The Nutcracker and the Mouse King by E. T. A. Hoffman, who was I guess actually a major figure in the German Romantic movement. His original characters were Marie Stahlbaum. But then, when Alexander Dumas adapted it later, it became Clara. Alexander Dumas, like the Three Musketeers guy? Yeah, adapted The Nutcracker and the Mouse King. Oh, so... And then that was based... The Tchaikovsky musical is based on this Alexander Dumas-like translation or, like, adaptation of The Nutcracker and the Mouse King, which was written in 1816 by this other Prussian dude who also was, like, one of the first guys to, like, review Beethoven's Fifth Symphony... There's a lot of facts coming at you like hot and fast, but the way you reviewed music back then, because you couldn't just like get out right away to see like Beethoven's Fifth performed when it came out. There were no Spotify in 1816. Thank you for that. (laughs) Good fact. Uh, So E.T.A. Hoffman just read the score and like wrote his review of it. And then he also was like a writer of like kind of fantasy stories. So anyway, it's Marie Stahlbaum in the original. It became Clara somewhere along the way. But in the version we watched, it like became Marie again. Because some people like try to return. The the E.T.A. Hoffman short story in 1816 is like kind of creepier and darker than the Alexander Dumas like adaptation that Tchaikovsky in 1892 when the ballet came out. Take notes, everyone. Uh, based it on. So anyway, it's Marie in some versions. It's Clara in other versions. That was a lot. Yeah, that's probably all just like word salad, but. Okay, so I guess her name was Marie in the version we watched. Her name is Clara as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Yeah, the credits was the, in the credits of the New York City Ballet version, it was Marie. Anyway, the Nutcracker is amorphous and infinitely adaptable. Can I summarize now, please? Yes, you may. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to call her Clara because I grew up calling her Clara. So, Clara and Fritz are the kids. Fritz is younger than Clara. Their parents are hosting their annual Christmas party. So we open on them getting ready for the party. Pretty quickly, the partygoers start to arrive. There's just like cute kind of like, I don't know, there's this very specific kind of ballet like make work where they all kind of prance up and down across the stage doing like little sort of mimed greetings for a while. As you do at a Christmas party. And because of the way that ballet is structured, it has to be a lot of heterosexual parents with one boy and one girl child. And they are all in coordinating but not matching outfits. (laughs) Which is deeply satisfying if you are me. And I wanted every outfit in this. Even now, as a full adult, I was like, give me that dress. Give me that hair ribbon. Give me that dress. So they look cute as hell. Little girls, little boys, moms and dads. Everybody's taking off like cloaks and shit. It's really quite pleasing. Eventually, the exciting thing happens. Well, first grandma and grandpa come and sometimes grandma and grandpa are played for like comedic effect. So they have like little kind of ditties that they dance. And sometimes they're just normal. But I like it when they're goofy. (laughs) I like a production where grandma and grandpa are goofy. In the New York City Ballet version we watched, grandpa shows up and he's just like, he basically calls for shots. He's like, let's get fucking drunk. Grandpa wants to get drunk immediately. In Ballet Arizona, grandma has like a baby solo where she does like a jig. It's pretty funny. Anyway, wow. Um, I've seen the Nutcracker a lot of times. (laughs) So... The first exciting thing that happens, really, is that Uncle Drosselmeyer shows up. He is sort of a wizard uncle. I don't know whose brother he is, or if they just say Uncle Drosselmeyer because they don't want to say, like, creepy loner Drosselmeyer that always comes to a party, (laughs) even though we never invite him. He just started calling himself Uncle Drosselmeyer at some point. I think in some versions he's the guy—I think in the original version— He's the godfather to Clara slash Marie. Okay, well, I'm summarizing. And this guy comes and his name is Drosselmeyer. He's wearing a cape. He's just overall like got a very eerie vibe. 
Eerie but cool. Yeah. Eerie but awesome. Sometimes he has an eye patch, which is like especially cool. And he brings this kid who is in various tellings his nephew. I think the version I've seen most often, it's his apprentice. But it's like a kid who hangs around and helps him out and will become very important in Clara's becoming a woman. (laughs) So he has brought three boxes. Each contains a life-size animatronic toy that does a dance there is a soldier that does ba 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 ba. Anyway, that's a very cool dance. And then there's a Columbine and Harlequin, who are like Commedia dell'arte figures. Anyway, they do, they're like a, a pas de deux. They do like a very cute kind of like doll pas de deux. And everybody's like, oh, holy shit. Because Drosselmeyer is also an inventor. So he has presumably invented and or like enchanted. Dude, he's steampunk as hell. He's fucking steampunk. That's true. And so it's sort of like... Various, I think, tellings of it have them as either really remarkable animatronics or as sort of like bewitched toys. Because he's sort of an inventor slash sorcerer, I would say. Yeah. So you can, there's this like actually kind of very fun, fine line in the Nutcracker between sort of inventiveness and magic. And it's kind of unclear at various points whether you're watching something that has been like conjured or very cleverly kind of like created and allowed. Anyway, it's great. So these three toys dance. And then Drosselmeyer is like the only reason to have this party, frankly. Like the grown-ups are fine. They're just like getting wasted on like fucking cider or glue wine or whatever. <laughs> um, I, what are they drinking uh, like Eastern Europe? Glow wine. Yeah. So Drosselmeyer is like, oh, by the way, there's like a fuck ton of kids here that everyone else seems to sort of ignore. But I brought them presents. So all of... The boys get musical instruments. It's very grinchy. All of the girls get like baby dolls. Again, like gender essentialism, like not the best, but it's also very old. Like again, yeah, it, this, this is, is from like this is set in the nineteenth. This century, is like the, so, mid, you know. the early nineteenth century. Um, I guess it's set in the late nineteenth century. In Written the, the ballet is from eighteen ninety two, but the story is from eighteen sixteen. We already so. you got to take that out. It's we've said that so many times. I just want everyone to be ready for the test. Yes, it's true. Okay, so. Yes, all the girls get dolls, all the boys get musical instruments, but Clara slash Marie is very special and she gets a nutcracker, which like I guess is really cool. That's like not the present I would have wanted, (laughs) but she is made to feel like extremely special and important. She's clearly Drosselmeyer's favorite. Then there's this like thing where all the boys like attack. They like become little soldiers. Fritz is a little asshole. Fritz is Claire's brother. Uh, He's her little brother and he's being a dick. And he like musters all the boys to pretend that they're like attacking the girls like encampment. So they're all the girls are all sitting and it's like really sweet, gentle music, like almost a lullaby. And they're like rocking their dolls. And then the boys come and run and kind of like jump at them and play their drums and their bugles and shit and freak them out and... Anyway, it goes back and forth like that for a minute because the music kind of switches on and off. And, Fritz uh, is a real D-bag. Yeah, Fritz sucks. He would be a very fun role to play, though, if you were a kid. There's so many fun roles for child dancers in this. That's another thing I love about the Nutcracker is you very rarely get to see kids doing ballet in, like, grown-up ballets. And they're so talented, and I'm just, like, so proud of them. <laughs> I'm, like, stoked. Like, the girl who gets to play Clara, like, I mean, I don't know, 50-50, she's a monster. <laughs> Because kids who are really good at shit are sometimes incredible and sometimes so mean. I was kind of a little monster. I was like good at spelling and shit and I was a monster even about that and that's not like real. Anyway, so they are like having this weird like kid war and then finally Fritz is like really jealous about the nutcracker that Clara got from Drosselmeyer so he breaks it and they get in a big fight but Drosselmeyer fixes it by putting like he puts a him in magic. like a sling, yeah. He puts like a magic handkerchief around his head and gives it back to Clara. Then there's like a fucking waltz. I cannot stress enough. This is a ballet. So most of the plot is then they dance. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happens next. There's the dancing. And then the dancing sort of segues into the party ending and everybody says goodbye. And it's like... This is when shit gets real. Well, so Clara, everybody goes, like the stage clears. Clara comes back out. Her nutcracker is... He's in like the nutcracker infirmary He or has, something. yeah, he's in like a weird little doll hospital bed. So she comes out and she goes to sleep on the sofa that's like near the nutcracker bed. And the Christmas tree, importantly. Oh yeah, so she's like out... By the Christmas tree, correct. The Christmas tree 
we get this like really cool like music. Again, it's a ballet. So most of the things that are happening are music changes, people start to dance differently. Oh, and she sees Drosselmeyer on top of the grandfather clock. Only in some versions. That's not right. something I, that's not in, in the most of the ones I've seen. Anyway, in this one, she sees Drosselmeyer. But all of which is to say we are meant to understand that Drosselmeyer is like bewitching some shit. He's like influencing he... situa- the situation behind the scenes. You are having a lot of trouble letting me summarize. I'm sorry. I am a control freak for summaries because I want, maybe I'm just an, actually an anti-summary fanatic. I just don't think that I you know what a summary is supposed to be. <laughs> the whole thing is that you don't say everything. I'm sorry. This would have been such a shit show if I tried to summarize the Nutcracker, so I'm glad you're doing this. Okay, well, let me do it then. All right, I'm just peanut gallery here. So sometimes I interrupt you a lot when you summarize, but usually not to add extraneous detail. Oh, there's so much extraneous detail I could add. Uh, canonically, the grandfather clock has an owl on it in the original story. Okay, well, it also does. In so the... that's pretty dope. Did you read the story? I read the Wikipedia of the story. Okay, well, that's not the same thing. (laughs) So a thing that's great about the Nutcracker is it's my favorite kind of holiday story, which is a spooky holiday story, which is also why the Muppet Christmas Carol is so good. Look, I know the Christmas Carol itself is spooky, but again, canonically, it's Muppets. So it's like, I'm not going to try to sing the music. (laughs) The lights kind of start flashing and... Very importantly, the Christmas tree begins to grow, and you see these little mice start to scurry. What? That's the part. Yeah, it is. So mice, like one or two mice, kind of scurry across the stage. Always very fun to see how the costume designer has like envisioned the mice. There are a lot of really fun ways to do the mice. Anyway, so basically what we're seeing is Clara becoming the size of a mouse and the Christmas tree grows. It's fucking magical. Usually they fly out the rest of the set. And anyway, then the mice are like attacking and Clara's like, oh shit, like why are there mice? And sometimes they're mice soldiers. They're like kind of organized. But thank God, the Nutcracker comes to life and he's a full grown size Nutcracker man. And uh, he has all these wooden soldiers that he like musters and then the nutcracker and his soldiers goes to war with the mice and they're winning but then the mouse king comes out and the mouse king is terrifying <laughs> and like also very funny and he has like fuck tons of heads and he has like crowns on all of his heads and he has a big sword and he is like about to like beat back the nutcracker like he's like winning and Clara's freaking out so she takes off one of her slippers and she throws it at the mouse king and it distracts him, which allows the only real violence in this, which is the Nutcracker sort of strikes the Mouse King once with his sword and the Mouse King falls and all the mice mourn. And again, it's like honestly very amusing, usually. And the Nutcracker is like, oh my God, my hero. And then they go to Candytown. Like, basically. He, and that's the plot. Yeah. He turns into a prince, and the prince is also Drosselmeyer's attendant apprentice nephew i think in some versions we're meant to think that the prince was trapped inside the nutcracker oh i always thought the nutcracker just like took his like nutcracker hat off anyway so the nutcracker becomes the prince the prince and clara sometimes it's a carriage sometimes it's a sleigh sometimes it's a flying bed really depends on the production anyway so they sort of swoop off into the night and then what we transition into is the last dance of act one which is the dance of the snowflakes which has no plot it is women usually in very sparkly silver or white tutus and like snowflake tiaras doing ballet for like eight minutes i love that Half this is just falling action. Oh, it's like two thirds falling action. <laughs> there is like everything has been resolved. If we can by the end of Act One, if we can possibly name the like climax of the Nutcracker, it is I guess when Clara throws her shoe and the Nutcracker defeats the Mouse King, which is within the first like twenty five minutes. Yeah, this is just full on the ending of the Return of the King. And then okay, so end of Act One. Usually it snows on stage, which is pretty cool. But by all accounts, it's like, it's just paper, like tiny ripped paper. And, and it I, gets really dirty. Yeah, I think I've read that this, whatever they use the snowflakes gets like really disgusting because they like sweep it up and use it again. Okay, act two. It's just Candy Town. Let's see if I can name them in order though. This will be fun. So Prince Nutcracker Man and Clara slash Marie ride their sleigh carriage bed 
vehicle into the land of sweets which is I think the um sugar plum fairy is the ruler of some sort she seems to be like the queen of candy town she might be the regent for the prince what who's the prince the prince is her is clara's consort who is trapped inside the nutcracker yeah but he's the prince of candy town i think so but oh. it's unclear to me i thought he just knew the sugar plum fairy They're in my like brain no like i think she has his like aunt yeah if you only watch the ballet it's really hard to figure out the relationships it doesn't here. matter though because it's, no, just, it's just about dancing. the dancing okay so they show up in candy town the sugar plum fairy who is so beautiful it is like physically painful if you're like a little girl who really likes ballet i wasn't like a super girly little girl also but like ballet is so pretty anyway so they're like what up and she's like oh my god you're so welcome here there's like a cute little scene where clara and the prince kind of like reenact slash mime their triumph and as a sort of congratulations slash like well done for beating the mouse king the sugar plum fairy is like okay sit down eat like a fuck ton of cake and we're gonna just entertain you for the next like 45 minutes or so (laughs) so all these different treats like perform for them they do dances so first it is the spanish chocolate which is usually i think like either three or four couples after that it is the arabian coffee which is a super sexy dance it's either like a single performer usually a woman or ballet arizona does a pas de deux and it's like incredibly hot like it's really 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 sultry i love that like, pas should de deux. children be watching this it's like i mean the thing that's weird about ballet is it's like there's a lot of like people's like parts touching <laughs> it's not like sexy but it's very physical obviously yeah ballet's pretty sexy like there's a lot of moves that are like okay well that's just her crotch like on his face (laughs) right yeah that's like a move a lot of the time yeah okay so then it's the arabian coffee after that it's the chinese tea which is like the most problematic one usually but also like a really fun lively dance you can do that one well then it is the russian jumping around guys it's like candy canes in, in the, the one we just Sherry watched. Lewis, in Sherry Lewis's Lamb Chops the Nutcracker, which I don't know if that's its name or not. It <laughs> sounds like a Tyler Perry's Medea's situation. Yeah. Uh, they're waiters. Because I remember the song was like, hey, we're Russian waiters. Yeah, hey, we're, we're Russian waiters. Yeah. I, okay. I, I, I don't know if they're waiters. I but don't know what they are. It's like a vaguely Russian dance. And the best performances of it I've seen, they like do the kind of the dancing where they kick like the kick high boys dance like um, some fit, like fiddler on the roof yeah or like fiddler yeah. on the roof dancing probably named for that after but. that i think is it mother ginger and her children not sure or is it the dewdrops <sighs> i don't know okay or marzipan no it's marzipan the marzipan shepherds and they're just no who is a marzipan shepherd i feel like i read that in the credits that like somehow they're like okay well anyway There's like a series of dances where it's like gals in a group being cute and they are sort of marzipan kind of stripey. Then there is Mother Ginger and her children. Usually Mother Ginger is, I think in lots of productions, it's a male dancer in drag. Anyway, but he's like up kind of like just performing with his torso because he's been sort of stuffed into like a giant bustle dress that like holds a bunch of kids and the kids come out of the dress and that's like the comic number. Everybody always laughs their asses off at Mother Ginger. <laughs> and then it's Dewdrop and the flowers. And in the production we saw, it was adorable because Dewdrop was like teensy. Like all the flowers were like a foot taller. Four foot ten. She was so Fully. cute. I mean, she was gorgeous. And like, so that's a really fun one because usually Dewdrop's like solo is really beautiful. And then, is that it? Is it the Sugar Plum Fairy? Yeah, I think in I think sometimes they mess around with the order of when the different dances are because the Sugar Plum Fairy dances early in some, later later in others. Uh, at some point, there's the pas de deux though between the Sugar well, Plum Fairy. Well, that's what I'm talking yeah, about. So I cavalier. think I think we get to the best part of the Nutcracker now, which is invariably the pas de deux between the Sugar Plum Fairy and her cavalier, who's some guy. He's her. He's her boyfriend. He's her dude. He's just like her hot kind of Ken doll. In some versions, it's not the sugar. I've seen it's not the sugar plum fairy, though. It's like this weird chance for like the prince sling and Clara like grow up and they have these like adult avatars that come out and dance. Okay, well, that's dumb. And it's like their future. No, or it's whatever. supposed to be that. No, 
Ugh. It's the sugar plum fairy. I've seen it staged that way. Okay, well, that's bad staging. People shouldn't make that choice. It's the wrong one. (laughs) Sugar plum fairy, her cavalier, they do a beautiful, romantic, just like really remarkably wonderful pas de deux. And then they do that thing where you do in long pas de deux where then she dances for like, you know, a minute herself. And then he comes out and he spins and jumps just a truly enormous amount. (laughs) And you like applaud because he has spun around so many times that you think he should be dead, which is one of my favorite parts of ballet when you applaud because of how many times they spin. And then they come out and do a second sort of mini pas de deux. And then everybody comes out and does like a little bit of a dance together, like a candy town rah-rah. And then... Candy town pep rally. And then Clara and the apprentice prince kid bounce in their, whatever their vehicle is. Yeah, sometimes it's like a reindeer sleigh. Sometimes sometimes you get the scene at the end of Clara waking back up in the living room and like it's sort of like a Wizard of Oz, like it was all a dream thing. And then everybody bows. The end. Yeah, that's what happens. And that's what happens in the Nutcracker. Boy, not much happens in the Nutcracker. No, it's just dancing. I mean, that's a ballet. It's dancing. Yeah. That always threw me when I was a kid because I wanted like, because I wanted more plot. I was always into the mouse battle and the fast songs because, I don't know, little boys are terrible. And then I get to waltz the flowers and be like, can this just be over now, please? I mean, I have loved it since before I can remember, since I was a tiny child. So I don't relate to that. (laughs) And I found other things boring, but I never found the Nutcracker boring. So the Nutcracker is super funny. The Nutcracker is a super funny Christmas property because it was a huge flop when it came out. Okay. It got terrible reviews. It's pretty like maudlin and lightweight. A lot of the things we, yeah. And that those were like some of the reviews when it debuted in St. Petersburg. Some of the criticisms were... Why does the prima ballerina only dance at the very end in the pas de deux? Honestly, of- that's a decent question. Yeah. You want, once you, because the, here's the thing, like you get to the sugar plum fairy pas de deux and you're like, tell me why we were watching like children, like sort of hop for like 40 minutes of this. That was literally the critic's question when they watched the Nutcracker in 1892. And then it sort of slid into obscurity for the next 60 years, basically, where if you watch the 1940 Fantasia, remember they have the sequence of animations. Around, With all the, the plants. Around the dances. Yeah. Well, actually, the ballet itself was sort of a flop, but the series of Candytown dances, for lack of a better word, that part of the score became a hit and was pretty well known. So when you watch 1940s Fantasia, uh, when the MC is introducing it, he says, and now here's... A few dances from the Nutcracker by Tchaikovsky. Nobody really knows this ballet. Nobody performs it now. It got pretty shitty reviews when it came out. Like, the the MC says this. But here's the good parts. And we're not going to tackle the plot because, like, fuck that. (laughs) We're just going to make, like, flowers Yeah, we're just going to have mushrooms doing... That is also, those are some of the better sequences from Fantasia, too. Those are really fun animations. So, But the Nutcracker was just dead by, like... 1940 nobody performed it and then balanchine and then yeah the san francisco ballet kind of resurfaced it in 1945 and then balanchine in the 50s with his iconic new york city ballet performance which was headlined by maria Tallchief, super famous osage prima ballerina famous in ballet circles but i actually think as a as an indigenous woman in the arts I wish everyone knew Maria Tallchief. Yeah. Like she's I think she's pretty obscure if you're not a ballet person. Yeah. We can thank Balanchine and Maria Tallchief, who danced the Sugar Plum Fairy, for like making the nutcracker but a thing. I think she's like the first and maybe like only prima ballerina who is an indigenous person in like an American like yeah. a mainstream American company. I mean I wouldn't I've no idea if only, but definitely the first. Definitely first. Yeah. Yeah, look up Maria Tallchief. What an extraordinary Incredible, yeah, Google this. Oh my God. And you can find video of her dancing. So she dances the Sugar Plum Fairy. Yeah. So then, of course, the Nutcracker, as we know it today, didn't really take off until like the mid 20th century. And it became this, really the Nutcracker is like a very American thing. And I'm wondering, what do you think, what is the appeal of it? Like, how did it 
I think it's rescued. It's accessible ballet. Mm. I mean, it's, it feels very obvious to me that it is not very long. You know, it's like at most, I think maybe an hour and 45 minutes, whereas a lot of ballets you go to are going to be like upwards of two. It's a ballet that kids can sit through because it has... Mm, yeah, it's family friendly. It's super family friendly. And there's sort of enough going on. Because the thing the thing that makes it shitty if you're like a huge ballet person is what makes it great for like mainstream audiences, which is you don't have these incredibly long, like technically spectacular, beautiful, but super drawn out like dance numbers. It's They're all really short. It relies pretty heavily on costuming. The music is really variable. Like you have movements that are only like a minute or two long yeah there's a lot of different beats yeah it it moves i mean it is it moves at a pretty rapid clip it's funny there's a lot of opportunities for humor on stage which works again makes it really family friendly it works really well for littler kids like fritz and clara is kind of back and forth it's pretty funny mother ginger is always funny the tea is usually a funny dance often the russian jumping guys are a funny dance Yeah, I think it just, you're able to do more that feels at least a little bit kind of like modern and accessible than in fucking like, I don't know, The Firebird or Romeo and Juliet or my favorite ballet, which is Swan Lake because I'm basic as hell. But that Swan Lake relies so heavily on just like dance. And there's a lot happening other than just dancing in The Nutcracker. What I want to say about The Nutcracker though, a thing that I think is very specifically important like for little girls is like, it's romantic in a way that is so subtle that you can kind of map like all of your kind of burgeoning like girl desires onto it. I found the Nutcracker to be honestly like deeply like sexually stirring when I was like a child. I just remember because there's something so romantic about the sort of what the Nutcracker Prince provides for Clara is like escape from the mundane Like, he makes her a princess, but not in, like, a cheesy way. Like, he whisks her away into, like, a magical land in which, like, he is so lauded and respected that she gets to be, like, a guest of honor. Like, it's super, like, it's so romantic, but it isn't a romance. Like, it's a romance, but it's kids. Right. Which makes it extremely alluring if you are a kid and you're a little girl that imagines being Clara getting like stolen away in the night by this like mysterious stranger because it's also like there's something very forbidden about that like that's the thing you're supposed to be the most afraid of as a little girl and like I really like that it's linked with Drosselmeyer because Drosselmeyer too has like dark sex appeal he's like the kind of man that is supposed to be like frightening to like a girl child And yet he is like, he holds this like allure and mystery to Clara. And it's not like Clara and Drosselmeyer are like attracted to each other, but she gets this like proxy for Drosselmeyer. I think they're kind of complicated and like deliciously like taboo, like sexual undertones in this story. I think Clara sort of using a relationship with the Nutcracker King as like a proxy for like acting out her like curiosities about Drosselmeyer is like, I think that's there. I really mm, do. Not even just Drosselmeyer's nephew. Or no, whatever. because the thing is, like, Drosselmeyer himself is, like, the object of Clara's fascination. Hmm. And, like, obviously, like, she is a child and he's a grown-up, and so, like, the you don't want them to, like, enter into any real relationship. Like, that's wrong and upsetting. But I think you can still, like, understand and explore the fact that, like, young children develop, like, romantic fascinations with grown-ups. They do. Right. And I think Clara has some version, especially if we understand him as a godfather and not an uncle, which I think we do. I I think Clara has a fascination with Drosselmeyer that is sort of starting to like turn into a romantic fascination. And the apprentice is like a like sort of age appropriate way of like exploring that. I just think it's like a pretty like sexy like kid story. It definitely can be read It's sort of about her rejection of, like, the staid domesticity of her family life because she has this party and then she descends into this, like, fever dream of mouse battles and she, like, throws the shoe and it's sort of about the richness of her internal life in contrast to that very, like, buttoned-down here's our like very proper Christmas party. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think the surface level is that it is about, like, the power of imagination. I think one of the great questions is whether she dreamt it or not. Like, and I think different iterations sort of tilt you one way or another in terms of whether you're meant to understand this as having been a dream. I think there are some stagings that do sort of posit this as a real experience that she has. Right. And others, obviously, she kind of wakes up at the end. But I think that we can't sort of divorce it from it being a romantic dream specifically. Not just a dream about imagination, but a dream about an imaginary world in which she is very romantically whisked away by like a hero. Right. And then, yeah, they're at, in the version we watched most recently, they're at the sweetheart table, like just watching all. Yeah. All the Candytown dances, and which... the the pas de deux, I mean, I actually totally agree with the critics that are like, good God, why haven't we been watching this woman dance all <laughs> along? But the, the Sugar Plum Fairy pas de deux is, I mean, profoundly romantic. Like, one of the most romantic duets in ballet, if it's choreographed right. I have some Nutcracker trivia for you that Tell might me. make you see the pas de deux in a different light. Oh, fuck. Okay. This is maybe the most research I've ever done for a Quibbler podcast. I was just reading about the Nutcracker for a straight day. So during the composition of the Nutcracker, basically the Imperial Theater commissioned Tchaikovsky to do this and an opera, and he couldn't say no because, like, the czar, you know, autocracy or whatever. He was feeling incredibly burned out. The story goes. He was working with the same choreographer who choreographed The Sleeping Beauty, which debuted two years earlier to like rapturous reception. I like the music from The Sleeping Beauty. I think The Sleeping Beauty is kind of boring, but. So the choreographer was like, okay, we're going to do this based on The Nutcracker and The Mouse King and gave him the list of numbers, basically, and what they wanted to happen in each like part of the Nutcracker, and he and Tchaikovsky looked at it and it was like, "What the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> this is fucking crazy." And he just like went to France to chill for a while. At one point, he had to go to Carnegie Hall to like open on like an American tour to like open something, and he just like he was having like really hard time composing the Nutcracker. And at some point, I think during his French sojourn, I could be wrong about this. He got the news that his sister passed away who he was incredibly close with and he was just wild with grief and that's when he some people speculate threw himself deeply into the composition of the nutcracker and especially the pas de deux which some theorize is a memorial to his departed sister which is why it has the descending dun 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 and yeah some speculate that it's a tribute or like a requiem for his sister and that even some would go so far as to say the whole second act is kind of this afterlife he's created for that's beautiful his sister that who's embodied by marie clara okay but that doesn't make it less romantic. No, it's not less romantic. It just makes it it makes it kind of melancholy. Right, but I think the fact that it is imbued with like a really fierce and intense love and longing. I mean, love and longing can come from grief or like romantic pangs or like Right. Those are there's a big Venn diagram when it comes to how those emotions show up in music and dance. I guess what I'm learning from this like Christmas project is that all our great Christmas art is about sadness. It's about sadness. I think it has actually been really interesting. The more we spend time thinking about yeah, the media that defines the like most wonderful time of the year, quote unquote, is it is almost all about like grief, isolation alienation, unmet expectations, opportunities to make amends. The only Christmas media that I think sort of leans into being just about kind of like maudlin, like grinning happiness are bad like Hallmark movies. I think all all of the really good, indelible, lasting Christmas performances that we've, or like Christmas, like specials that we have visited so far have been dark and sad and weird. Yeah, and The Nutcracker is profoundly strange. It is exceptionally weird. It's not sad, but it's fucking odd, and it's spooky. And again, I think yeah, the other I thing- I love the spookiness of what it. You sent me an article recently that said that telling ghost stories used to be like a Christmas tradition. 
Right. So, like, when you think about even, like, A Christmas Carol, like, the, like Dickens was tapping into sort of, like, the Christmas ghosts vibe. I mean, it makes sense with the solstice. Uh, yeah, a it's way. a time of deep darkness. And that the veil, this is the feeling I always loved as a kid when you learned about, like, Santa and, like, really believe in Santa. Like, the feeling on Christmas that the veil between reality and the spirit world or the fantasy world has somehow become thin or permeable is, like, is pretty amazing and I think, and, like, scary, too, at the same time. But in that, like, sort of delicious chill by, like, chill down your spine scary. And I think the Nutcracker taps into that. And that's part of its, like, appeal. Well, the other thing, I mean, to go back to the original project of this podcast, I think that's why Harry Potter sort of fits into the kind of holiday movie arc. Mm. Because I do think that there is something about the Harry Potter stories that they are, like, sumptuous and emotionally satisfying and fantastical and also really sad and strange in a way that we really crave this time of year. And I think, again, like, the thing that I like about this is I actually don't think that that is confined to Christmas celebrant. When I think about, like, the holiday spirit, I actually think we are talking about, like, a shared desire for strange I don't know maybe not but like it just seems like everybody wants kind of like maximal and like extremist experiences at a time when there's a lot of like sensory deprivation essentially I mean I think that's part of the appeal of the nutcracker I mean it's very secular it's sort of just festiveness enacted on stage from the Christmas party to this fantastical candy town dance. You know, you party hard, you have some excitement with the mice, and then you just eat candy for the next, like, 45 minutes. And that, like, it's really inclusive. And I think in a way that particularly appeals to Americans. Yeah, it's mild peril followed by snacks. (laughs) But also, I'm not surprised that it became, like, huge in post-war America because there's this sort of... It's nice slash problematic, like, in a way a lot of things are, you know? So, like, there's a certain... The suite of dances, like, the multicultural dances, like, appeal to this kind of myth of the American, like, melting pot, even though it was written in, like, Russia. And it's, like, it's problematic because it can, like, veer into essentialism. But this idea of, like, we're all just going to have this pageant right now. And, like, yeah, you're, like, dancing for a little white girl or whatever. And, like, maybe everything's not so okay, like, under the surface. But... I don't, there's something very American about that whole sequence to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it is very American in its, in its total like vapidity about its own problematicness. Right. Like America is like, how cute we have this like Chinese tea dance. And it's like, it's like deeply racist. Like Like the ways, (laughs) well, and I think it's interesting actually. One of the things that I do find interesting is watching like contemporary choreographers try to grapple with a lot of dre- like a lot of genuinely racist sequences and try to turn them into something that like sort of retains the spirit of the dance without being what it used to be which was like women in like inexplicably in like kimonos and geisha ma- makeup which is like not chinese first of all right like at all yeah i think a like lot of it, jumping. A lot of it comes down to the staging. Like Tchaikovsky himself was sort of, he was even sort of parroting his own culture though with right. like the Trepak, like yeah. or however you pronounce it. Well, and. But it, a lot of it I think comes down to the staging and like a lot of contemporary companies are trying to not do the 1960s thing where you put like white dancers in yellow face. Yeah, no. So the production we just watched, I think only vaguely hinted at the kind of original. And the thing is like, it's not, the music is all very Western. Like, it's not like it switches into different sort of, like, tonal registers the way you would if you were actually playing music from, like, a drastically different culture. And, like, the Arabian coffee, like, it's sort of like Jasmine and Aladdin, where it's like, where do you think Arabia is? (laughs) Like, it's basically, like, Agrabah, like, style kind of just, like, Orientalism, like, bullshit yeah but the music itself like if you divorce it from being called like the arabian coffee dance it's just it's slow and kind of sinewy and it's a great it's a great piece right right so it's it is nice to watch 
choreographies choreographers and like artistic directors at least start to kind of shed some of the parts of performing the Nutcracker that I think have gotten just like totally inappropriate yeah they can feel cringy they can feel cringy but I think yeah but I think that is part of the it was I think part of the appeal yeah the appeal this idea the the kind of well because Americans used to see multiculturalism as like they used to think that weird essentialist kind of like tropes counted as multiculturalism it's very Epcot center oh that's exactly right it's a small world that is exactly right but I mean there also is something if you can do it in a way that's respectful and not appropriative there's something really there's something I don't know. There's you, something good-hearted in that. But you can't do the Nutcracker with those characters no, no. in a way that's respectful and not appropriate because those the music is written by fucking Tchaikovsky. Like, it's not you're, like you're actually performing. Yeah, but he wasn't. Tchaikovsky wasn't an American imperialist, no, no, no. though. But it's not, it's not Chinese or right. Middle Eastern or, well, it's Russian. But it's like, you know, it's fucking like imperialist Russian music. It's not like folk music. <laughs> like, you can't do like, like a culturally sensitive like Dance of the Chinese tea because it's not fucking Chinese music. Well, another thing that's very American is there's been so many different takes on the Nutcracker. You can find like the jazz Nutcracker. You can find there's a there's like a drag Nutcracker yeah. called Cracked or Nutty. It's called something <laughs> funny or Nut. Anyway, the Nutcracker is very malleable because Christmas itself is very malleable. Yeah, there's the Hot Chocolate Nutcracker, which I guess there's a Netflix documentary either out or coming out about it, which is the Debbie Allen Dance Academy. Debbie Allen is like a iconic American dancer and performer. And I guess her students put on a performance every year that's the Nutcracker, but with much more kind of like contemporary and diverse like dance styles. So it's like young kids and from like lots of different backgrounds and doing dance that isn't just ballet, but to the Nutcracker score. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And that to me is like, I don't know, it's funny. It's it's the Russian ballet, but it's become this very American thing. And it's very malleable in the way that, I don't know, the idea of America can be malleable in lovely ways in addition to not so lovely ways. And also Christmas is malleable. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm not feeling quite as like starry eyed about those concepts as you are. But I no, I hear you. I think it's hard because it's like, so I love the Nutcracker and I love like the original, very classic, extremely white, really narrow definition of the right body, blah, 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 Nutcracker. And I just, loving all of those things, I do think it's hard for ballet to sort of be anything but itself. Like I would love to live in a world where I thought that ballet had the potential to be more inclusive and permeable, but just like don't see that happening like I think it's probably gonna die out partly because it's just like not welcoming to like a lot of the ways that people like live in the world now which is a bummer like I wish ballet could like make room for that but in the meantime fuck I mean I have a blast watching this every year (laughs) I do but I also know that it's gonna take a lot for this particular art form to you know kind of get its 21st century sea legs like most choreography is still written so expressly for like cis male and cis female bodies to be like interacting with each other in this very specific heteronormative way. Like there aren't, you know, there's just ballet is written for like bodies to do incredibly specific things in like very narrow boxes. So I think to catch up, like it's going to have to behave drastically differently toward human bodies in like really basic ways. To the point that there are some, you know, like only women are on point. I don't know that much about ballet, Inter- like, I don't know that much about this sort of, like, physiology. But I can't imagine that men just don't have feet that can go on tiptoes. That doesn't seem true to me. But yeah. there's, there, you know, there are these, like, really, really, really rigid gender conventions in ballet. And um, I sort of wonder if those are ever going to sort of shift. Or maybe there are companies that are doing interesting things with that already. But I just think when I, when I watch The Nutcracker... I feel pulled back into my childhood in really magical ways, but I also feel like I'm watching like an already super archaic art form, which is a bummer to me because I think it's beautiful. One of the criticisms I've read of The Nutcracker is that it does keep ballet a little frozen in the past because there is this demand for this very traditional, conventional product that people don't want. People don't want often their holiday traditions 
to change. Oh my god, it's like how people like won't see like a non-white Santa at the mall. It's just like Christ, people. (laughs) And the Nutcracker, you know, the Nutcracker for a lot of those people is one of those traditions. And if you're a ballet company, you have to do the Nutcracker. And you have to do it in a way that people are going to buy tickets. Because the Nutcracker for many ballet companies, I don't know the exact numbers, but it provides like a lot of the ticket revenue in most normal years. This year, of course, nobody's going to the ballet. But, which to which I would again say, if this is something you like, I would highly recommend getting the streaming Balanchine New York City Ballet tickets. Yeah, so one of the criticisms is dance companies, they can't be that experimental because, you know, you need to do like the Nutcracker every year. But on the other hand, I've read that a lot of dancers also really like the Nutcracker because crowds really like it. There's parts for everyone. Yeah. It gets kids involved and a lot of kids who go on to become dancers were in productions of the Nutcracker as children. Like really so, small kids. I don't know. Like any holiday tradition, it has its... Yeah. No, I mean, I think on ish. balance, I like it. But I mean, obviously on balance, I love, I like it. I love it. And I do think it's something where it is like truly for families. Like when we went at BAM a couple years ago, Brooklyn Academy of Music. Oh, that was so fun. Just the little, the kids in like, you know, like little girls in their like velvet dresses and like patent leather shoes and who were just sort of entranced. I remember you used to be able to take a picture with the Sugar Plum Fairy at Ballet Arizona. And it was just, I mean, these these children had just like stars in their eyes. And you could, I mean, to see that tutu up close, like I'd cry. <laughs> Just like the the beautiful costuming. And I do think that's another thing that I am constantly obsessed with in The Nutcracker. There are so many opportunities for like exquisite costuming and sets. I mean, like lots of ballets, I think you sort of rely on like one or two sets. Drastic exception being the Firebird, which we saw last year, which blew my fucking mind. But you know, sometimes it's like a little basic. But this, like you have the big Christmas tree getting giant. You know, you get to decorate Candytown. You get to do the snow dance it's really sumptuous in ways that few things are now yeah so i don't know like everything it's like like anything old it's like pulling like less helpful vestiges of itself kind of behind it into the future and you know things shed their vestigial kind of like limbs and sticky out parts as they go that's just progress but um i think there's an adaptability there though it's uh it was very fun for us to watch this year, and the music is just a, a blast. So yeah, it turns out Tchaikovsky can write. Yeah, it turns out. Uh, should we? Do we have unsung heroes? Who's your unsung we hero? We didn't do unsung heroes last week. I know, but that's got very because it got like hard at the end. I think we can do unsung heroes this week. Do you have an unsung hero? Um, fuck. So there's candies. There's various candies. Uh, wait, are we meant to? Are these candies alive? Are these candies alive? Or are these like? humans that represent their candies humans representing i don't think that's literal coffee it's not coffee dancing for and then they get drunk by okay because it'd be horrifying if the candies themselves were forced to dance for the prince and clara and the snow dancers aren't literal snow like they're most they're like fairies i think of them more as like fairies and sprites and like if you think about really ancient conceptions of like you know, the corporeal forms of various concepts, like nymphs and shit. That's what I think about. Well, I think my unsung heroes are going to be the parents then for inviting Drosselmeyer. Like, they're down with this dude. They're like, hell yeah. Invite Drosselmeyer. Dad? He makes Clara's a party. dad clearly loves Drosselmeyer. <laughs> He's like, fuck yeah, I don't have to parent for a minute because, like, <laughs> these kids are going to be so fucking mystified by this scary man. Uh... That's fair. Definitely a Dumbledore prototype there. Oh, yeah. He does have Dumbledore. He has, like, chaotic energy. Also, I was realizing no Nutcracker, probably no Toy Story. Mm, That's true. No. Toy comes to life. life, Yeah. Like, and also maybe no, like, Chucky. I mean, yeah, the whole genre of it. The scary and the not scary. Although I contend that Toy Story is, like, fairly scary. So (laughs) I don't know if that's not horror. I think my unsung hero... Dude, Mother Gender has a lot of children. That is a that is a challenging role, mother wise. Like she's got like nine that like live in her skirt, (laughs) which is just overwhelming. I think so. Mother Ginger. This week's episode is brought to you by 
What should it be brought to you by? No, no, no. Candy. Candy. It tastes really good. And it dances. And it dances, if you're lucky. We're going to do this again in a couple days, and you'll sort of see what you get then. Um, Hope this remains fun for you, but if it doesn't, you have the opportunity to stop at any time. So congratulations on getting free shit that you may or may not like. (laughs) Just like recipients of Santa's... I don't know. That's not actual free. free. I know, but you know. Um, Oh, yeah. Eventually, we'll also read Harry Potter again. But, you know, it's December and we're doing this right now. (laughs) So. Feliz Navidad, amigos.